Amongst the many different aspects of Sohmat, and this particular type of Sohmat I'm talking about tonight mm-hmm. is the type of Sohmat that men, male marids, are able to acquire with their sheikh. Mm-hmm. Now, what share the female marids have in this mm-hmm. is that many times these type of sayings have been noted down mm-hmm. and they are transmitted. Mm-hmm. And classically, this used to be called the malfuzat of the sheikh. For example, there are several books containing the malfuzat of sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani-Rimullah. Malfuzat means his statements, his proclamations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they were known as hikam, or there's aphorisms, or one or two or three lines, subtle points of wisdom, mm-hmm. nuggets of wisdom, pearls of wisdom that a sheikh would mention. So sometimes students would close those or pick them. Sometimes it would be letters that a sheikh had written the student. Mm-hmm. And even though, and those were sometimes published and shared mm-hmm. with others, those were known as maktubat. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it was a noted down entire discourse. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say a sheikh spoke for 20 minutes. Those were known as majalis. So the majalis, malfuzat, maktubat, and hikam, and these are things that actually were all put into writing by people who had spent and witnessed live mm-hmm. that sohbat or that company of the sheikh. Once it was put into writing, mm-hmm. then those teachings, those pearls of wisdom, those nuggets of guidance, mm-hmm. then are open to access uh, for both uh, genders for both men mm-hmm. and for women. Alhamdulillah, there is an extra thing for a man that traveling with a sheikh, actually, it's a very interesting thing, and I, and I don't think I've ever spoken about this on the program as yet mm-hmm. in the past year and a half, that what a person, and many of the mashaykh of the Sof have written this, I've heard several of them say it, and I can say that I have experienced this firsthand and continue to experience it 16 years down the road, mm-hmm. is that what a person learns when traveling with one sheikh is something that is altogether different and irreplaceable and has no substitute. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, that because when you're on a journey, mm-hmm. it, you're confronted with so many different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And when you're on a journey, so many different types of people come to meet the sheikh. And it's really at that moment that you see the dynamic nature of the sunnah mm-hmm. that our mashag embody, that they're able to twist and turn every situation and make it a means of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're able to confront each and every difficulty mm-hmm. and each and every trial and make it a means of adopting sabr and patience and endurance mm-hmm. and turn it towards the tawakkul or reliance, trust, and dependence on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one really gets amazed at every aspect of their life mm-hmm. because it's so permeated with the love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the Prophet sallallahu whether it is something even so mundane as traveling or eating or anything, it seems that every single thing is being done 
with a level of deep consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things I uh, had the opportunity to hear Shaykh discuss in the past few hours was this notion of balance. And I think that many, many of us, uh, even, you know, irrespective of whether may one is formally a student of the Sawaf or not, we're all struggling with this issue of balance. And how can we balance our ibadat? How can we uh, balance maybe our work for the deen? How can we balance our work to earn a halal livelihood? How can we balance running a household? How can we balance spending time with our family? Mm. How do we balance spending time with our spouse, spending time with our children? Mm. How can we live in this vast network mm. of hukukul ibad, of interpersonal relationships, and vast different array of hukukullah, different rights of Allah subhanahu wa in different ways that we try to engage him, sometimes a person gets confused. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a person can even go astray. And sometimes a person even falls back. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a person ends up being imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing, you know, that our sheikh mentioned uh, in these gatherings mm-hmm. was that imbalance is something that is very critical. Mm-hmm. It, it's critically harmful mm-hmm. for a person to have that imbalance in their life. Mm-hmm. And until and unless they can establish that balance, and if ever they lose it, restore that balance, mm-hmm. and then maintain that balance, mm-hmm. only then will they be able to maximize mm-hmm. the benefit of this path of the soul and salute, this path of yearning and striving for the pleasure and nearness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And in that, Sheikh mentioned a few key things, which if they exist in a person's life, mm. they are the real cause of that imbalance. So in other words, the way the Sheikh was discussing it, was trying to point out what are those factors mm-hmm. that cause the imbalance one by one. The mm. first factor, broadly speaking, our Sheikh mentioned was ma'fiya, or disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa or simply speaking sin. Mm-hmm. And if we don't adopt taqwa and righteousness and piety in our lives, if we don't stay away from sins, then even the ibadat that we're doing, even the tilawat of Qur'an that we're doing, even the zikr that we're doing, even the du'as that we're making, even the halal business that we're running, even the time we may be trying to give to the family, if we're not able to do that, then if we're not able to stay away from sin, then the sins that we continue doing, the sins that we persist doing, are enough to dislodge us from that balance, are enough to sometimes even eliminate mm-hmm. all the effect of all of the good actions that we're doing. And a person, and, and Sheikh described this in a sense as a tragic situation and a tragedy, mm-hmm. that a person spent so much time trying to worship and please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but because they couldn't rid themselves of a few last persistent sins, indulging in those sins dislodged and displaced all of the effects of their act of worship and remembrance. Mm. So it was a very strong focus Mm. on establishing taqwa. Mm. And basically taqwa and staying away from sin was the anchor of the balance, was the source of that balance. And I think, I'm sure many of us, myself, and I'm sure many of our listeners, if we think about it, 
and we look at our days and our lifestyles carefully, and we try to look back and think whenever we sort of felt off-keel, we felt imbalanced, we felt unsure, we felt disturbed, we felt distressed, we would find that although it may apparently be due to some external cause, somebody's enmity, somebody's envy, some worldly difficulty, but if we were to look deeper, we would find that there was some sin that we committed, mm-hmm. there was some sin that we allowed ourselves mm-hmm. to indulge in, and that is what displaced us from being on this level of balance. Mm-hmm. Then our Sheikh went into a... And, and the reason I'm talking about this is this is... I'm not replicating a lecture or a bayan of the Sheikh. I'm collecting different statements the Sheikh meant mm-hmm. in the course of traveling and journeying with him. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get a feel uh, for our listeners that one can just imagine mm-hmm. uh, that normally when we travel with people, uh, sometimes we just engage in idle talk mm-hmm. or vain talk, but it's amazing that the Mashaikh, even while traveling, mm-hmm. were able to impart such words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So then the Sheikh went on and mentioned a few specific acts of disobedience that are extremely crippling in a person. And one was that their source of income is haram. If they're earning from mali haram, if they're earning in livelihood and therefore their eating and consumption is based on unlawful wealth and income, then that is such a sin that is able to negate and wipe away all of their deeds and it's a sin that keeps them in a constant state of flux, instability, and imbalance. Mm. And Sheikh said that he's, many people come to him and they have this issue. And once, and after and issues of imbalance, issues of instability, that they feel that they're not giving enough time to their family, or they feel they don't have enough time for the ibadah, or they feel they're not doing justice to their job, or they feel they're not doing enough work, their khidmat, their, of the deen, and he says that one reason for that is because somewhere they have an unlawful source of income. Mm-hmm. Second reason that the Sheikh mentioned was that they have an unlawful love. Mm-hmm. And he linked this to these two words, mali haram or ghayri mahram. Mm-hmm. So either a love that is haram or wealth that is haram. And if they have some love, some attraction for the non-mahram in their heart. And this is a separate, in its sense, and Sheikh was linking this issue specifically to tahajjud, and that a reason why a person is not able to pray tahajjud is that they have love for a rare mahram, a non-mahram woman or man, opposite gender, in their heart. Mm. And he mentioned that in the teachings of the Sawaf, a person can only really make progress if they're as regular in their tahajjud as they are regular in their first prayers. And he was actually counseling the people present that you should actually view it as if you have six prayers. Mm-hmm. Don't think that you have five prayers. You have six prayers, five which are made mandatory by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and one that you view as essential for your own spiritual development, mm-hmm. one that you view as essential and mandatory to become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he related, mashallah, and this is something that I myself have witnessed on literally mm-hmm. hundreds of occasions that Hazrat Saab, even if he is traveling, even if he goes to sleep, arrives at a destination very late, 
and even if he sleeps at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., mm-hmm. he still manages to wake up for the time of Tahajjah. Mm-hmm. And then he mentioned to those present that many people aren't going to be able to wake up mm-hmm. if they don't get if amount of sleep. Mm-hmm. So the Sheikh said, and there's three ways in which a person can fulfill Tahajjud. One is the Asl, and I, I want to make sure the listeners listen to this very carefully. One is the Asl Tahajjud. Mm-hmm. One is the original, real Tahajjud, and two are substitutes for that. But if a person can make sure that every night and day they either do Tahajjud proper, they either pray Tahajjud proper, or they pray one of the two substitutes, at least they never miss one of the two substitutes. If they can start doing that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put them well on their way to becoming people who can pray Tahajjud proper itself regularly every day. And what do I mean by that? By saying Tahajjud proper means to actually pray in the last third or last half of the night. Mm-hmm. To pray some extra rakats of salah in the last third or last half of the night. If a person feels they may not be able to do that, because they are going to sleep late because they have to work late and they know they won't be able to wake up or they'll only be able to wake up for fun. Mm-hmm. Or what they should do is that they should pray some nafil salah any time after Isha. And that is a substitute, a backup for tahajjud. And they should feel that, okay, if I'm not able to wake up half an hour before Fajr or 20 minutes before Fajr or 45 minutes before Fajr to pray tahajjud in, in its proper time today, what I'll do then is I'll pray something before I sleep. I'll pray something after Ishan before I go to sleep. The second possibility is that a person doesn't realize this in advance and actually plans and intends on making up for Tajjud, but they were unable to and they woke up for Fajr. Mm-hmm. And so then what the person should do is the second substitute and backup is that after Fajr, mm-hmm. it should stay up a bit and then at the after about 15, 20 minutes after the sun has risen, there's a time known as the time of Ishraq, and at that time they should pray some Nafil Rakats of Salah, they should pray some extra prayer. And that would be the second substitute. Mm-hmm. And the Shaykh mentioned that actually Allah Ta'ala through these three ways has made, pray, through His infinite mercy, mm-hmm. has made it such that either person prays such a proper or can pray something substitute akin to that earlier or can pray something substitute akin to that afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that means there's no real reason why anybody should miss at least one of these three opportunities to either pray Tahajjud proper or to pray something in its place, mm-hmm. that if we're regular in any one of these three, mm-hmm. then we would be led to pray Tahajjud regularly. Mm-hmm. And then he presented then Tahajjud as something that also anchors us in our balance. Mm-hmm. And if a person can pray Tahajjud and at that, from Tahajjud Fajr, and do whatever zikr and ibadah they're able to do, whether it's maraqabah, zikr al-qalbi, tasbihat, istighfar, yiruchrif, tilawat al-Qur'an, etc. That would get their day off to the right start. That would ensure that in that 24-hour period, they had a core period of ibadah. And he was also stressing that there is no person who can go without 
this core period of ibadah, no matter how much teaching of the deen, no matter how much khidmat of the deen, no matter how much doubt of the deen, mm-hmm. no matter how much the belief of the deen a person is doing, mm-hmm. this core time that we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether we do it at the time of Tajib proper, mm-hmm. or we do it sometime after Isha before we sleep, mm-hmm. or then we do it after Fajr up till the time of Ishraq, without this core time of are engaging in nafil ibadat of Allah subhanahu a person will not be able to have that balance and will not be able to have that stability in their life. Mm. And, you know, many times I've also seen that Mishai, sometimes, you know, a person, when they listen to these things, they feel that the medicine isn't, and the cure isn't being given according to the illness. So if a person says that my illness, my difficulty is I feel I don't give my children enough time, or I'm not giving my spouse enough time, how would doing this solve that? Mm-hmm. But it's an amazing thing, this power of nafal ibadat. It's, it brings a person to this balance. Mm-hmm. If a person can engage in certain amount of nafal ibadat for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be regular and steadfast and sincere in that, and then also, like we mentioned, the first three things, to stay away from sin and disobedience and be a person of taqwa, and number two, to make sure all of our earnings and income and consumption is from halal wealth. And number three, to take out all the love of the ghair mahram, all of the unlawful, impermissible love from our heart. And if we can do these three things, mm-hmm. plus have a core time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, literally what our Mashiach is teaching us is that will solve all of our imbalance issues. Mm-hmm. And what it means that we will get a certain barakah in our time. We will get a barakah in our decisions. Our day will be such that we give our spouse more time, we give our homes more time, we give our parents more time, we give our children more time. Those of us who are working or earning, we give it its proper due diligence. Those of us who are engaged in any khidmat of the deen, there will be more barakah and kubuliyah, more blessing and acceptance and grace by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on of those activities. All of these barakat and all of this balance all of the stability, all of it comes from this core element of taqwa, staying away from haram wealth, mm-hmm. staying away from haram love, and having that core amount of time of ibadat with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And really that's how people who are trained on this path mm-hmm. of the soul and saluk, mm-hmm. by being so continually reminded mm-hmm. by their teachers mm-hmm. to leave the sin, to establish the ibadat, that is how they end up through the barakah of this path of Islamic spirituality. They end up actually having a wonderful worldly life as well, in, ter- in, ter- in particularly in terms of interpersonal relations. Mm-hmm. And if on the flip side, if we don't do these things, then a person is sometimes in a state of torment. Either they're tormenting somebody else, or somebody else is tormenting them, or they're constantly sad. And they feel that I'm not a good father, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good mother, I'm not a good wife, I'm not a good son, I'm not a good daughter, I'm not a good teacher, I'm not a good student, I'm not a good worker, I'm not a good employer, I'm not a good homemaker, I'm not a good home provider. And then because of the imbalance, then it leads to these feelings of inadequacy, it leads to these feelings of insufficiency, it leads to these feelings of depression, then those leads to feelings of apathy, and then a person just you know, it becomes totally numb. Mm-hmm. And this is really why we continually put ourselves in the presence of our elders so they 
share with us the teachings that guide us out from our numbness and our almost spiritual death, and they sort of revive and resuscitate and spark our spiritual hearts to connect our hearts back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so these really are the things that truly can only be learned by the masters of of living a life according to the Quran, Sunnah, and Sharia, and people whose lives were the embodiment of this, the awliya al-Qurlabun, the intimate friends of Allah subhanahu wa who is drawn near unto him and to whom he has opened up and made manifest and apparent to them the ways and paths and methods that can lead others close to him. So we hope that each and every one of us can benefit from all of the words and all of the teachings and pearls of wisdom of all of Ramashad Hikram wa Akhir Dawana and Alhamdulillah Hidam bin Alameen.